Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Well, welcome everyone to another Care Threads podcast. My name is Tom Herzog. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at NetSmart, and I'm the host today. And we've been talking about the ever-changing landscape that we find ourselves at the intersection of healthcare and technology. And we've been bringing um, individuals to this conversation to share their experiences, uh, kind of the challenges and opportunities that they find, give real examples and hear a little bit about their story um, as we all walk forward together. I've had the opportunity to hear our guest today on a variety of subjects, and I'm really excited to share with you that we have Dr. Eleanor Castillo-Sumi with us, uh, Senior Vice President of Strategy, Innovation, and Growth for Pacific Clinics. Now, Pacific Clinics is California's largest community-based nonprofit provider of behavioral and mental health services for the state. Pacific Clinics offers a full range of mental and behavioral services, foster care and social services, housing, continuing adult education, and early childhood education programs. And we'll talk a little bit about that today and what our show is focused on. But before I get there, I'm going to have Eleanor speak a little bit to her role. And I'll use kind of two things that I picked up on, 14 million and 155 years. Welcome to the show today, Eleanor. And if you could uh, give us a little bit of introduction and maybe tell everyone what is behind those two numbers. Thanks, Tom. I'm excited to be here today. And thanks for the opportunity to share about Pacific Clinics and the work that we've been doing. Uh, Pacific Clinics is uh, an organization that's over 155 years old. We started off as an orphanage in San Francisco and in Los Gatos in California, and over the years have just transformed. You know, so the fact that we've been around for 155 years tells you a little bit about the organization. We've been able to anticipate changes and transform accordingly to stay current with the times. And so we continue to do that today. 14 million, that's the number of Californians that are on Medi-Cal, which is California's Medicaid program. So we hope to impact as many of those 14 million people as we can. So a lot has changed in the past couple of years. It's probably cliche to say at this point. And outside the pandemic, we've had a lot thrown at us as a country, in our communities, in our homes, in our lives. And provider organizations are going under a significant amount of change. You know, there's this phrase I, I used to use, and I talked about, hey, we're, we're moving at the speed of thought. And that's really almost analog at this time. We're iterating at thought. And I found your title really interesting around focusing on strategy, innovation, and growth. And if you can tell, 155 years is a long time. 14 million lives, a lot of people. You're not able to sustain that kind of success unless you're willing to iterate. And in your role, I hear you doing that a lot. Can you share a little bit about what the challenges and opportunities and how you and the team are working to address those as an organization? You're absolutely right, Tom. Um, there's been a lot of challenges. And, you know, these challenges of changes in landscape all began prior to the pandemic. So we knew even prior to the pandemic, 
that you know mental health was a need, the need to transform our system to provide whole person care, to provide integrated care was important. Um, you know, people may look at it from the cost cutting, bending the curve perspective. You know, some might talk about it from the perspective of the consumer being able to go to a single source and receive all the services they can, or at least have those services coordinated in some meaningful fashion. But all of these conversations started before the pandemic. With Cali, and California has been talking about Cali, which is California Advancing and Innovating Medical. And again, for that Medicaid population, which is about 14 million people in California, conversations about CalAIM were happening even before the pandemic. The pandemic just accelerated everything. So, you know, it's really exciting in the sense that it's a crisis, but it's also an opportunity to innovate. Um, and if we can think outside of the box, then, you know, we can do anything. And the pandemic has shown us that we can, we can transform quickly if we wanted to, and we can um, you know, meet the needs if we all really wanted to. So that really speaks to the mission. And we are at a place in time where we can think outside of the box and we need to think outside of the box. A part of new business is thinking about how can we do things differently within the organization. I always talk about how, you know, we have this cognitive schema of how we do business. And that's great because this cognitive schema serves as a, as a shortcut, if you will, in your thinking. But it also can be a challenge when you're trying to think about how to do something new and different. Um, you know, so really understanding that those cognitive schemas and when they start to interfere is something really important. And sometimes it's so ingrained in our business and our thinking that we don't even realize that they're there until you know, you're in a space where if you were to really allow yourself to think outside of the box and you start to understand the solutions that we often come up with are the same solutions within this cognitive schema. So really challenging that those cognitive schema is something really important um, that also speaks to the leadership. The ability and willingness to take risk is really important. And we often talk about, you know, that, that kind of risk that you need to take. And for Pacific clinics, you know, we're often, if you will, maybe criticized for being large and having the resources. But I would beg to argue that we are large and we are able to have the resources because we have been thinking about business differently, you know, all these years. And again, 155 years, you need to innovate, you need to change, you need to challenge yourself. I mean, you need leadership along the way that actually supports all that. Well, you've hit on a few topics that I want to dive into each of these. Um, I'm going to try to figure out how to do that. Um, and that really is on the how to change because we all, we all know uh, at times that we need to change. The hardest part is actually being intentional to go make that happen. 155 years, your organization obviously has has figured some of those those pieces out. Uh, before I get into the how, and and, and really, because when, when, when I think of the how, I always think of what's my own mean? What am I willing to grab a hold of and what am I willing to let go of? Um, it's that, you know, that cognitive schema that you're talking about is there's a certain things that I'm comfortable with and things that I'm not comfortable with and it's really creating and fostering an organization to get there. But let's that and that may be the single hardest thing. And I love how you said it. If the pandemic, if there was some some things that we're going to learn from the pandemic, change can happen when we put our mind to it, when we're willing to press in. You know, I look at telehealth or telecare or any of the virtual services. Those were things that were hard or difficult to find adoption. And then seemingly overnight, it's like, hey, we've been waiting for you. It's good that it's good that you showed up. What are some things that you're really proud of your organization 
recently or in the last few years that you've been able to innovate or rethink or new services that you've pressed into that are an example of this willingness to go out and be not only disruptive, but innovative? Uh, you said a, a key term in there um, while you were speaking, and that term is intentional and you know being deliberate. One of the things, and it, it, this is growing pain, so it's never, it, it has not always been as easy, and it can, it's, you know, it's not an easy journey, but it's a journey where we're, where the leaders in the organization are willing to continually examine their thinking, have different forum and structures to challenge each other. We've all been trained in Posner's and Kuzner, Kuzner's, um, you know, five leadership skills framework, and so it's really applying them. Uh, you know, when someone is challenging the process how to see them as challenging the process rather than, you know, anything being personal, having conversations that where we move from politeness to conflict so that we can have some action um, and minimize the water cooler conversations. But I would say, you know, you also said, you know, do we need to give up anything? And I think that's a question that, you know, we continually ask ourselves. And I think that's probably at this time, you know, I would like to say it's maybe a false dichotomy. I think it's how we do things differently. Um, I don't think we've given up anything in innovating, but we have done things differently. And that is through technology. You know, we knew that we needed to work smarter, not harder. And we, you know, we've been saying that for years. We've been trying to deal with, you know, what is it then? So if we know that, then how do we do that? Um, and it's not just from the clinical standpoint, but it's also from the clinician standpoint, right? We keep saying, do more with less. And so how do you really, truly do more with less? And taking action on it, I think that that's the, the biggest part. And so technology really has been, I think, you know, the solution around here. And not a whole lot of nonprofit organizations, you know, have the latitude to be able to do that. You know, I truly believe that to the extent that you can think of automation as an example, one of our programs took 80 hours per clinician to sort through Excel spreadsheets from a health plan. We now have that down to 15 minutes. Um, and again, this is per health plan. And so we're contracted with six to eight health plans for enhanced care management with CalAIM. So if you can just imagine how many staff we would need to sort through literally thousands of columns and rows um, for each member, because they don't drop off the health plan, how many people you would need to just manage that. Um, so take their salaries, and that's invested into technology. So again, we're not doing anything different. It's just how you think about it. You know, this 15 minutes, I think is even that there's still room for improvement there. If we can get our partners to health plans in this case, to actually really receive data. One of the goals of CalAIM is to do data sharing. If we can truly do data sharing, we can probably get that 15 minutes down to two to five minutes with, you know, just automation. So there's a lot of examples of how technology can really help that process. With, and so, again, you're doing more with less. Yeah, and I think often when people hear more with less, it just sounds like more work, if we're honest. So, yeah, you're just telling me I have to do more with less time, quicker, faster, better, if you will. And I like how you position that. No, we're actually talking about rethinking the process in such a way we're going to give time back to you. And I think for so long, systems, we've had the wrong approach about systems. And it, it wasn't any, it wasn't necessarily designed that this is the way we're going to do it. But when systems began to get involved in the use of technology, it was really around data capture. And, you know, and it was really around financial and then operational. And then for some reason, 
we brought clinicians to the table last, and then they became the data entry uh, point for a lot of it. And then we can't figure out why they're not happy about it. And now we're in this new world. And this is, and I love how you said that because you were like, we're going to approach this differently is I want you actually to not have to use the system as much, less about what you're doing for the system and more about what the system's doing for you and more about how we can bring that technology and information forward. So that doesn't happen. This is the weird, I think, paradigm that we're, this shift that we're in right now is for so long, we've been telling people more data, more data, more input, more input, more input. And now we're pausing and saying, it doesn't always have to be that way. When you're innovating, when you're looking at different things that you want to do for your program, it's not just technology. It's not just process. It's also people. How do you approach that? Because I think that's some of the things when I look back, sometimes we got to pause and give people the context of what we're trying to do, that it's going to be a little difficult in getting there. But when we get there, you're going to get 15 minutes back from that process. How do you go about doing that in your organization? Well, you definitely need your earlier doctors, um, you know, especially when, you know, if we, I were to do an interview today in Calim and there's not a whole lot of people with a lot of experience. So if you're going, you know, if you're hiring based on people with experience in that type of program, for example, then you're not going to find a whole lot. So what we found is that you're looking for qualities in people. Um, you'll have your early adopters, you'll have your late adopters, and then you'll have everyone that'll adopt along the way, you know, drink the juice, if you will, if they start to see the low hanging, the, the results of the low hanging fruit. And so it, it really is critical to get those, you know, identify those early adopters, people who are willing to fail, trust that all that we're doing is part of the mission and why they are here, fail and raise their hand because no one likes to fail, but that's part of being able to be agile and fix things you know, as, as quickly as we can so that we're constantly iterating and constantly getting better. But I would say, you know, that's probably the, the most critical component is who in our space would want to do this with us? Who would, you know, want to put everything on the line to be able to, to innovate? Um, and, you know, the other part of this is that most people in the organization are clinicians, you know, they're, they were really good clinicians. They came even better clinicians. And then we put them in places of being a manager. And many of them are successful. And for some of them, managing is not their strength. And so how do we have a path for those people where, the, you know, they can do something different um, and grow within their roles? But there are people, not all clinicians are managers. So it's, you know, how do you identify these people and grow from there? And, and so part of this is also you know, building that trust. And now a lot of people say, you know, build that trust. And in retrospect, you know, what is that trust? I mean, you know, what does that look like? What are the behaviors that would develop that trust? And it is, you know, having these, these agreements and, you know, creating a forum where people can talk and can fail, raise their hand and know that it's not their burden to carry. I like how you said that from the early adopter standpoint, because you're kind of setting the table on the notion it is early <laughs> where there will have to be some adoption of the things, which is a nice, maybe safe way of saying it's not going to be perfect as we're iterating through it. And we're all going to have to collaborate in order to get there. And we're going to need curiosity. We're going to have to question some things uh, and maybe redo some things in that process. And any of us who have been a part of maybe, you know, improving a process or coming up with something new, 
know that the work effort that it takes to get there. And I guess that's, you know, you you seemingly have created this great culture where that people are excited about that, where it's seen as opportunity, not just a challenge. How, how have you gone about doing it? Because that doesn't happen by accident. We'll go back to the intentional world. Uh, you have to create safe spaces. I liked how you said, hey, it, it may fail. We may have to start some things. We may have to stop some things. So to that person who's listening to our uh, podcast today and uh, and they're they're like, I need to do this. We're maybe stuck in in doing the things that we've always have been. And you're saying, hey, when you start, you got to think of the team, but then you also have to have this culture and approach. How do you go about that? Yes. So, you know, in my space, the agency sees it as new business. Um, and it's really how we frame that. And it's really new business is an opportunity to test a lot of things. Our CFO came from the for-profit world, so he calls it incubating. Um, and that's exactly how it's seen. So it is seen, new business is seen as a pilot. And it's not just a one-off, but it's a place where the organization can pilot a number of different things from the people, process, technology, and you know where we define key metrics, where we are then ready to turn it over to what we call operations, which is our core. So instead of in the past, what we used to do is, you know, have new business run on the backs of current operations. And, you know, we have really good people doing really hard work that just cannot focus on new business. And it's not because they don't want to. Uh, it's just because they just don't have the bandwidth to to do it. Uh, so, you know, deliberately separating out new business, getting it to the place where we can turn it over to operations so that they can then fully implement the program and then innovate and you know, sustain and innovate the program and just continually having that cycle is really important. But the framework around new business is it's a place for incubation. So, you know, failure is expected. It's a good thing. We want to figure all these things out so that when we turn it over to programs, they're not figuring things out. Um, you know, and that is the entire process from the consumer perspective to the clinician perspective, you know, do job descriptions need to change? Are we looking for different things in people? Um, you know, whatever the case might be. And then what structures or infrastructure is needed to support the people who are delivering the services and the people and, and our consumers as well. So it's looking at, you know, this business, this incubation from all those different aspects. And this could include our finance department. In this healthcare space, it's very different than doing business with our county for specialty mental health services. So it includes all components of the business. So what I hear, one, I'm, I'm going to borrow that phrase from you in the future, that failure is expected. Uh, often we, we, we talk about that. That's a buzzword out there. But you, you phrase that in a different way of almost giving permission. If we're not failing, maybe we're not testing the edges enough. So I love how you said that. The other thing to the what what I've gleaned away from that is if you're going to go do something new, it just can't always be an and. It can't be a hobby. I liked how you you know you used incubating that we have a pinched off team that we've brought together in cross functional. That was the other thing I wrote down is it's not just one team. It's not one person's job. It's a cross functional team that isn't just an and. We're going to go do this. And by the way, team. We expect failure. <laughs> that almost creates a different notion and almost, okay, so, so we don't have to just get it perfect. We're going to learn and iterate through that. And I think today that is really hard for organizations when time's at a premium. 
there's this notion of can we fail? And you're saying, yeah, it's expected uh, to be able to go through there. You know, I guess a question for you is when it doesn't work. So when you talk about failure expecting, how do you as a team talk about that? And when do you finally say, you know what, that's not going to work and we're going to stop? Because that I think for for I know in my world one of the hardest things is you know what we need to stop. Good noble effort. It wasn't a lack of resolve, but you know what the outcome just wasn't going to uh, deliver what we all expected. I think that may be one of the hardest things for teams to arrive at. How do you guys do that? Well, you know, in the beginning when you start these things, you have a number of different hypotheses, right? But whether or not people. Agree. There's a number of assumptions that we make about the staffing that we need, the services, you know, the finances around that. And so, you know, having these hypotheses and explicitly identifying these assumptions and developing key metrics around that is really important. So when we are meeting, and so again, the structure around, you know, having these frequent conversations um, and making quick decisions is really important. And, and so people will know that, you know, if something's not working, there is a place to address that. At the same time, there is that place to address it. So if you're not doing it, then there's a place to address that. Uh, but having those key metrics and then having some honest conversation, again, you know, moving from politeness, and it doesn't have to be about people, right? Um, if you can have those, those kinds of conversation with your executive team, then that's, that's really critical. And it's really, if we expect our staff, for example, to do, especially a new business, and let me also clarify, we don't start with a big team. Um, initially, it was just me and a couple of other people that our core team said, all right, here are a couple early adopters who can go do this and actually implement. Um, and then we came up with a metric that said, if when we get to this you know, ratio of clinician to customers, then we will grow. And that's just kind of been the m- mantra. And when we're not there, and oftentimes we ask our manager to do everything, right? And in the beginning with new business, they have to be the jack of all trades. But at some point, they can't be the jack of all trades. Um, and they need to know that they're not then expected to be the jack of all trades. They need to be the jack of all trades to get us going, but not be it all the time for a long period of time. And so the, sometimes the question is, if we need you to do this X, Y, and Z, day in, day out, and be breathing this information, then what is interfering with you to be able to do that? And it might be that I am on all these meetings, you know, I have to do all these things. And, and in which case then we say, okay, then that's, we need to pull in more resources to support you to do what we're asking you to do, you know, day in, day out types of things to make this program successful. So it's being open to recognizing, you know, when we need to pull in more resources from different team members, it could be on the front end with, you know, our human resources department, it could be on the back end if we're asking them to manage um, you know, some key metrics, or it could be our IT department, you know, being able to give them the data in a manner where they can manage data as we want, we would want them to do. So again, having those conversations, giving them permission to, to do all of that and just being open around that is, is really critical. But I would say we always have forums. We always have forums and different levels, different combinations. So we also try to be explicit about not having to sit in the same meeting and hearing about the same topic three times. Um, you know, the, my team know that there's a rule. If there's an email that goes back and forth three times, it's time for a short, quick meeting. You know, making sure we have the right structures, the right people at the right time. Um, and that's probably as important, if not more important than anything else. 
Well, I one, I love the email analogy. I may have been guilty of that a time or two. Um, and it's like, okay, it's time just to have a conversation. I think sometimes in a very digital world we live in, we forget, you know, what we do runs on the rails of relationships. And the more and what I hear, you know, so Eleanor, so much of your words is giving people permission, encouragement, you know, challenging some of that status quo and not just find ourselves going through the motions, if you will. Your metrics is spot on. How many times have we all fallen in love with something or the idea of something and we almost forgot to measure it against the metrics that we started with to say, you know what, this is exceeding what we did or no, we're way off track here in being able to go do that. So I appreciate your encouragement on that because I think it's every organization right now finds themselves in this very space. Funding, payment models are changing, uh, new opportunities, workforce, and we can get enamored with the challenge of it or as you're sharing with us today, we can get enamored with the possibilities and the opportunities um, as, as we look uh, forward on that. I, I guess, you know, to that person who's listening right now, and you already, you know, you, you spoke to the size of your organization is different than others, but these are all still challenges. And there's someone listening today who says, we're not here yet. We're not having these conversations. We know we need to either look at expanding some of our services or rethink some of our models internally. How would you encourage them to start as soon as they're done listening today to begin not only starting something new, but also this cultural mindset shift or change that they need to make in their organization? I would say, what is it that you need to start having those conversations? Um, you know, and really critically examining, you know, what is it that you need? Do you need a leadership space, you know, for that? Do you need, but what is it that you need to start having those conversations? Because you need to. Otherwise, you know, things will be done to you, um, but you can be a part of the solution. And, you know, now is a time, I think that providers often feel like we are on the receiving end, but an example with Kelly, I mean, the health plans are figuring it out as well. The state is figuring it out as well. So I think we can be active participants in this process. And, you know, the question is, you know, so what is it that you need to start to have those conversations internally? And with, I'm sure there are, they might be part of organizations, but, you know, how can then you leverage those resources as well? Okay, I love that you said that. I love that you didn't even blink about it because you're like, you just, you need to start acting today. And I think so many times um, in the space and communities that we serve, we think these things are just going to happen, that we're, we just have to wait till they come. And you're saying, no, flip the script. You need to have a seat at the table. You need to be pushing forward. You need to define those parts of it. And in a, in a really good way, you're giving our audience permission to say, let's go make that happen. And you're underscoring what I can just sense and feel is part of your culture Let's go do something about it. Let's go make it work. Let's go make something happen. Uh, so thank you, because I think that's a that's a big part of it. And before I talk a little bit about, I'm going to use a segue to transition to talk a little bit about how you found yourself in your role here. And that is your title. So when you start talking about innovation, strategy, and those types of things, what kind of things are you currently focused on? What does your days and weeks look like in this role for your organization? Uh, so we are 
Pacific Clinics is a mer merged organization of Uplift Family Services and Pacific Clinics. We merged as of March 1st, 2022. So we are going through our first strategic planning process together as a merged organization. So strategy is definitely part of that. And, you know, the questions of how far do you go out? You know, do you make it three, five, seven years? Um, that's Those are all questions that we're grappling with at this time. In fairness, CalAIM Cal is supposed to be a five-year program. We're almost done with year one. And yet we still don't know, you know, what to expect in the next four years. So that's the, you know, the strategy component. Meanwhile, we can't wait, you know, and so the horizon thinking of what do we see, you know, as our, in, in the future for our organization and, you know, what steps do we need to take along the, that way to achieve that vision, that horizon three vision are definitely things that take up a lot of my, you know, my day and time and technology and thinking about technology and all these different resources is definitely part of that. Yeah, I think it's we find ourselves in an interesting time because even the technology we're thinking about, we know there's things coming that are going to impact us, and yet we don't know what those are. I think AI is a good example. Um, we know it can deliver a lot of efficiency around those pieces, um, and it's something everyone likes to talk about, but we are all figuring out how does this totally apply to the world that we live in? And uh, it sounds like you're spending a lot of your time. And I like how you said, hey, we're not waiting. We're going. And there's a lot that's still being uh, planned out there. And we need to work in parallel on that. You know, as we come in for a landing here and would like to hear a little bit about your career, did you always dream you'd find yourself in this role? No, I would have never imagined. I knew I wanted to go into the behavioral health space, but I, I would have never imagined that I would be doing what I'm doing today. I knew that I wanted to impact lives um, and I wanted to impact lives on a large scale. And I've just had some really good mentors along the way. Um, so I think, you know, finding these people that support you and lift you up is really important. Um, and just being open to all these different opportunities, because who said something like Cali and, you know, transforming California's um, healthcare system would be around, you know, 20 years later. Who said we would be talking about whole person care in a meaningful fashion, you know, not just recognizing that there's a social determinants of health on one hand, primary care on the other hand, and then mental health, you know, on one hand. I never envisioned, you know, a system that would actually challenge itself to want to deliver services in a integrated and whole person fashion. I mean, I've always wished for it. Um, and so now to be a part of, you know, being able to impact that and the direction that it goes is, is really exciting. As you look forward and, uh, you know, you, you take your career, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you've done, and we all know what systems have done, but when you start thinking about social determinants of health, social economic factor um, in, the, in statuses and, and where people have found themselves, what role, as you look forward, what hope and what role do you see technology organizations, providers having to create even more positive change out there today than what we're even thinking about now? Hope is everything, right? I mean, that's that's why I'm still around. I mean, you know, there are many reasons to be disappointed and disillusioned with this whole, you know, mental health processes and services. Hope is, you know, everything that's a driving force behind, you know, the passion around this work, at least for me. Technologies, I, you know, I'm a clinician. 
Um, I happened to oversee programs that was really involved with data. Uh, and then what I found was that the flow of data uh, was really critical to getting what clinicians needed. Um, and it was through following that passion that I got to where I am. And, you know, I, you know, I mentioned that we have these clinicians that grow up, if you will, <laughs> within the organization. And at some point, you need a good partner. And I don't know about every technology out there, but we live in the Bay Area. We live among Silicon Valley. And there are a lot of smart people, you know, in our space. And so it's finding those business partners who can be passionate about the mission with you and are willing to, you know, grow and develop with you. That's, you know, that's really important. So, you know, where technology plays, I don't know the extent to which it could play. I imagine it's, you know, it could be huge from the clinician standpoint, from our consumer standpoint, from the sharing between organization standpoint. Um, and you mentioned AI. You know, I think there are things out there that I, even I might not be aware of, but could be there if we can find just the right people. So getting connected with the right people, you know, this is a time where partnership collaboration is really important. Um, and it's finding those people and those organizations who want to be on this journey with you to think again differently, because I'm a clinician. Um, I, I understand evidence-based practice. I understand delivering services from the clinician standpoint. I, I understand being a recipient of services as my family has also been impacted by mental health and substance use issues. And I come from a culture where behavioral health, mental health is not necessarily a natural help-seeking behavior. So how do you get it you know, to communities who don't see mental health as the way to get services? But I do know that there are other people out there, other organizations out there who, who can answer that. And so it's finding those organizations that are willing to partner along the way. I, I'm going to bring us in for a landing on that because that just bold underscore highlight what you just said. And the three things that you taught me today uh, in this mentoring conversation, I'm not going to call it a podcast, is the need for hope. And I think in a time where we hear we're inundated with all the news and the noise and the challenges out there, we sometimes lose sight that the future we seek is driven by the hope that we want. And that led me to the second thing that you spoke about was collaboration. I love that you openly talked about uh, bringing everyone to the table in the community on a on a professional level as you talked about peers and colleagues and others within your team, but also at a personal level in the families and the communities and the things that we, um, that, that we have to work together in order to be able to solve these things. And some of them we don't even know about, but we know that when we can come together and make those things happen, anything is possible. And then the third one is you reminded me of connection, that how we navigate everything forward is this connection. Uh, your willingness to come in and have this conversation today with our audience and being able to share from all perspectives that you serve and really talk about how we navigate forward. So I want to thank our audience uh, for joining today. Eleanor, I want to thank you for joining us and the conversation and the things we're able to speak about to Pacific Clinics and everything that they do to serve cause and communities and all providers out there. Uh, we come together in this uh, podcast, in this Care Threads, to be able to talk about the possibilities and the opportunities as we navigate not just challenging times, but times of opportunity. 
And when we're willing to disrupt status quo and innovate and collaborate, anything and everything is possible. Until next time, thank you. Thanks, Tom. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.